The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I am absolutely so delighted to have you join us, whether you're with us on the live call or whether you're listening to a download later, know that you're very, very welcome here. This show is brought to you by Valenta Slim Roast Coffee. Now, the latest report is that I've now lost 30 pounds by just drinking Slim Roast Coffee. You know what? I know how much you hurt in so many ways when you're overweight, and I invite you to join me drinking this delicious coffee and losing those pounds. No dieting. Go to the self-improvement blog to learn more. While you're there, see the picture and read the bio and the book review about today's guest and his remarkable book, Money Love 3.0. Many of us have been struggling with the law of attraction since we first heard of it. We read all the stuff and made what we thought were the necessary changes and still... Nothing happened, so why not? We're going to talk about that today. All those years I had a book sitting on my shelf unread. I just never got around to it. The name of it was Money Love, and it was probably the book I really needed. When I moved to Fountain Hills, I gave it away because I just didn't have space for all my books in my little apartment. I didn't know what I missed until I read Money Love 3.0, which is the best book on the subject of prosperity and manifesting that I've ever read, and I've read a lot of them. When I got the email about it and its author, I immediately replied and said something to the equivalent of, let's book him, Dano, which has all kinds of meaning today, because today's guest spent some time in prison, and we're going to talk about that. And while there, he said, and I quote, Another tool I used to keep my spirits up, a real challenge every day in prison, was to visualize myself after my release, appearing on a talk show and telling Oprah or whoever how I had thrived and survived during my incarceration, unquote. I hope he can be happy with whoever because this whoever is both honored and excited to have him on the show today. Jerry Gilley started out as a broadcast journalist ending up as a newsman and business reporter at NBC Radio in New York. He retired to Florida at the age of 32, imagine retiring at 32, to write self-help books and conduct workshops. 
1978, Money Love was punished, public, punished, maybe that too, was published and went on to sell over 2 million copies worldwide. His sequel, bringing his pioneering prosperity consciousness principles into the computer age, is called Money Love 3.0. In the introduction to the book, he tells about one of his greatest learning experiences, 12 years in prison. Jerry has traveled around the world giving his message that prosperity is not just about money. He has recently explored writing and performing stand-up comedy, appearing at the Purple Onion and the Marsh Theaters in San Francisco and Berkeley. He currently lives in Panama, is riding up a storm with at least three books on his back burner, including an uplifting and funny, we'll see if it, how funny it is, prison memoir. It is a great, great pleasure, even though I'm not Oprah, to welcome Jerry Gillis to the Self-Improvement Show. Jerry, welcome. Why, thank you, Irene. I really feel welcome after that introduction. <laughs> wow. Well, when, you're, think... when you're not Oprah, you have to do the best you can. Well, I, I was actually on Oprah in her early days, and uh, her introduction was not nearly as transcendent as that one. Well, why don't why don't you just send her a little email and tell her? I'm sure she'd be pleased. Tell us about yourself, Jerry. I'm going to ask you this hated question. Tell us about yourself. Who is Jerry Gillies? Well, uh, that's an awfully uh, deep and intimate question to ask right off the bat. It is, isn't uh, it? I sort of feel you should take me to dinner first. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, I'm someone who has learned from my triumphs rather than my mistakes and disappointments. Uh, I'm someone who's had a pretty adventurous life, and you covered some of that. I've always done work I love, like starting out as a 19-year-old disc jockey before I became an award-winning newsman at NBC. Uh, writing seven personal development books, including Money Love, the original edition, which sold two million copies over a 25-year period. And I did talks and workshops all over the world, writing and performing stand-up comedy and uh, my one-man show. And I lived in great places like Greenwich Village and Miami and Malibu and London and San Francisco and now Panama City, Panama. Uh, also, at various times, I call home a houseboat, a customized motorhome, a commune, and a six by ten foot cell at Folsom State Prison. Uh, but most of all, I, I think I'm someone who's been so blessed to have so many mentors and friends and great teachers and thinkers and authors throughout my long and productive life. And I think that is probably why I'm producing more and better ideas today than I was in my 20s and 30s, which was a long time ago. We won't go into that. <laughs> Give us a thumbnail of the prison story so we get that out of the way, Jerry. We won't have to talk about it again then. Okay. Uh, I do talk about it extensively in the introduction to Money Love 3.0. And also in the Money Love Manifesto, which is a free 38-page ebook that people can get uh, from my uh, blog, uh, which we'll give the, you know, we'll give the information on that later. But prison was 
a weird experience. If you had told me I would have ever ended up in prison, I would have laughed. And when I told people what I had done to get to prison, and that included fellow inmates and prison guards, uh, they quite often laughed. They didn't believe it. And here's the story in a nutshell. And some of it I pieced together two years after my arrest, actually, because I didn't really know. I knew I had gone a little crazy, but I really didn't know the reason why. And I was actually, I thought maybe I'd had a, some kind of brain tumor or seizure. And I was, for the first year of my incarceration, I was really deeply concerned that it might come back or it might eventually be permanent. And what I found out two years into my sentence, when I got a cellmate who had been an uh, amphetamine addict, uh, we talked, everybody used to say when I told what I did, which I'll tell you in a moment, uh, you must have been on drugs. And I said, well, I've never done drugs. I don't smoke. I don't drink alcohol. Uh, I don't even drink coffee. And they would say, shake their head and say, that's hard to believe. And when I was with Keith, my cellmate, at uh, Pleasant Valley State Prison in California, we started talking and he said, your behavior sounds just like my behavior when I was on meth. And I said, well, you know, I've never even seen meth. And then we kept on talking because you talk a lot when you're in a little cell with one other person. And it turns out that I was taking a nutritional product for weight loss and energy. And its main ingredient was mawang, an herb from China, very very powerful herb, usually called ephedra. And when I told Keith that, he jumped up and said, you've got to be kidding. I made my meth from ephedra. You were on meth and didn't even know it. And I had been taking it three times a day for five years. Wow. That Was that the Fen-Fen that was really popular back in the 70s? No, uh, I don't think Fen-Fen had ephedra, but it uh, it was a substance that was subsequently banned because a number of people died. Yeah. Uh, from I was heart- just about to start taking it when <laughs> when they yeah. banned it. Uh, and also, and it didn't affect everybody the way it affected me. I guess I was allergic or something, but it really kind of zapped my brains. And I wasn't even aware of how it had changed my character and personality. Uh, I was no longer writing. I wasn't very productive. And I was you know, content and fairly happy in my life. I just wasn't doing anything. Uh, And I wasn't aware that I wasn't doing anything. And I got the brilliant idea to try to steal, because I was totally broke uh, because of an investment scheme that had gone badly, and I lost about $90,000. And some friends and colleagues had lost money investing with me. And one of them uh, went to the authorities uh, and filed a complaint. So that uh, led me to be indicted. Well, not indicted, actually. I I did a plea bargain because I didn't want to be sent to Pennsylvania. I was living in California at the time. And I could have been put in jail for a year because I couldn't afford at that point because all my money had been tied up in the investment. I couldn't afford bail. So I might have stayed in jail for a year until my case came to trial. So I decided to accept a plea bargain instead. And I was supposed to get off 
with probation, and somehow it ended up with an 18-month prison sentence. And because my state of mind was so shaky, this was very unusual for me, I began to have panic attacks. I was supposed to report uh, in uh, Nevada at Nellis Air Force Base Prison, a federal prison camp, which I subsequently found out was sort of considered a resort. Uh, and I was, I was given three months to show up there on my own recognizance. And as it got close, within a week of that deadline, I totally panicked and I decided to try to steal a motorhome and uh, using uh, an air taser. And uh, I had really uh, no experience in committing that kind of a crime. Or any did, kind of crime. Any kind of crime. I did it very badly. If, uh, uh, if that show were still on at the time, America's Dumbest Criminals, I would have probably... <laughs> You've uh, been, been the star. <laughs> I would have been the star. And, uh, I mean, I got caught right away. Uh, I didn't get very far in the motorhome, a few blocks, and uh, I got eventually sentenced to 12 years in prison for carjacking. And what I found out in, uh, in prison, uh, well, first of all, within the first few days, my mind started to clear up. It was like I was transformed. Uh, I began to think clearly, and I began to realize what idiotic uh, behavior I had been uh, guilty of. I couldn't actually believe it. I thought it was sort of a surreal dream that I had actually committed this carjacking of a motorhome. Uh, and I, was, I had some kind of harebrained scheme to drive off somewhere. Into the sunset. I, yeah, but I only had $240. That would have hardly filled the gas tank. Uh, so I'm not sure what my plan was. Uh, I... You know, never got to execute it, so I, I never had. I never got to find out uh, how uh, terrible my uh, non-planning uh, was and what it would have led to. So I sort of, in some ways, I was lucky that I was stopped in my tracks. And what I found out in prison uh, was that inner peace and deep reflection and a sense of joy and fulfillment and productive flights of creative imagination uh, were all inside jobs. I didn't have to be imprisoned in the limited and pretty ugly external world uh, that was other people's making. I could make my own world in the wide open spaces of my mind, and I kept on getting better and better at doing that. So I sometimes feel guilty when someone commiserates with me and says, oh, you know, how terrible that you were in prison for all that time. You must have suffered and, you know, how brave of you to come through it. But I really didn't suffer. Uh, for the most part, I really wasn't in prison. I was lying on a hammock somewhere, reading a mystery novel, maybe on a beach in Tahiti or Bali. I never thought of Panama. I didn't know anything about Panama at the time. And uh, I got through it, it seems, amazingly quickly in my memory, that it went very, very fast. Yeah. And uh, I came out of it. I was writing all through being in prison, including humor, which was a good trick, which is why I'm hoping to do a memoir that's funny as well as uplifting. I was writing cartoon gags for major cartoonists for magazines like Playboy 
and publications like the Wall Street Journal and the Harvard Business Review. And uh, I was making maybe 50 to $150 a month, which was a fortune in prison. And I used my sense of humor to keep me going to a great extent. It's interesting. It sometimes seems like the universe tucks you away so you can learn some of the things you needed to learn to do the work you're doing now. You've just come out with Money Love 3.0. I think it came out, what, in April? Uh, January. January. You call this the most unique book ever written or published. And and you know what? I have to agree with you. Why do you say that, though? Why did you write it this way? Well, I've always liked to be an innovator. My workshops were always different. I always liked to play with the way people learn and make uh, whatever I was teaching more interesting and more absorbable. And I wanted to come up with some different ways of expressing all this in a book because I realized that even with all the new technologies, books are pretty much the way they've always been, the format. There's a beginning, a middle, an end, chapters, and so forth. And I wanted to do something different. And tell us what's so different about your book because it is. Well, the first thing, as soon as you get it open... I have at the beginning of the book, and no other book in history, as far as I know, has ever had this, I have an instruction manual. I actually have ways of reading the book that will allow people to take it in at a deeper level and have more fun reading it and explore different ways of uh, getting the material and uh, taking action based on the material. I have a chapter that's one of my favorites called Time Love, which I uh, had a collaborator for, uh, Martin Borison, who wrote One Moment Meditation, because he thinks a lot about time the way I do. And I originally thought I'd write a book about time maybe 25 years ago. And he's been thinking about it and studying and learning about the psychology and the philosophy and the history of time and how it's a man-made construct that we're imprisoned by And we don't have to be because we can make it whatever way we want it to be in our lives. And and it can be flexible. We can play with it. We can slow time down. Uh, We can speed time up. There's so much more we can do with time than most of us do. And that chapter has something no other chapter and no other book has ever had. It has its own appendix. The first of the chapter itself it's a dialogue between Martin Borison and I and some brilliant stuff. Not all of it mine. In fact, probably most of it not mine. And then I go off and share some of my thoughts about time and some of my explorations and some of my exercises. And uh, another way in which the book is unique, it probably has more action and awareness exercises than any other book, certainly any book on prosperity or any other self-help book. I mean, for example, I have a chapter called Quote Love, one of my favorites. I talk about the power of quotes in our lives. We all love quotes and we get a lot of value out of them, but I found a way to get more value out of them, playing with individual quotes by looking at them in different ways and doing little games and exercises involving those quotes, whether they're favorite quotes or new ones we discover 
And I have 100 of those exercises called quoter sizes in that one chapter. So it, there's a lot of stuff to do, and I repeat over and over again, uh, an admonition from my friend Marianne Cantwell. And she's someone I interviewed, and boy, does she have a lot to share and teach. She's the lady who wrote a book called uh, Be a Free-Range Human. She teaches people how to let go of their jobs and use their laptops to earn a very good living and be free. So if they want, they could travel around the world nonstop and still earn a living. And she does that. She could be in Bali or Australia or uh, London, where she is right now, or just about anywhere. And she still uh, has her large following and they buy her book and they take her coaching uh, sessions and her webinars and so forth. And she's a brilliant lady. And one of the things she said in her book, she said it just once, but I must admit, I adopted it and I use it more than once because I think it's perhaps the most important message in the book or in any personal development book. Do the damn exercises. And I have quoted it and quoted it as well. You have some wonderful words and phrases that I found so delightful. And really, when you put them all together, they show the flavor of the book. I'm going to throw some of these at you. And you can tell us, you know, some of them have, have, some of them are unique. And you can tell us what you meant or, you know, what they mean. The first one that, and I really love this expression, is robust expectations. Well, that came from a friend and a mentor of mine, who I think is one of the most intelligent people I ever met. He's no longer with us. But he's someone that really left a huge thumbprint on the world. And that's uh, Norman Cousins. Norman, uh, of course, first became world famous, even though he was pretty famous as the editor of the Saturday Review for 30 years. But he really became famous when he overcame a terminal illness by learning to laugh, by watching old comedy movies. And what he discovered when they explored this further, he was the first one to really popularize uh, the scientific uh, knowledge of endorphins and other secretions of the brain. And he eventually became part of the faculty, even though he had no medical training, part of the faculty at UCLA Medical Center. He actually changed medicine as we know it. Forever. He is yeah. the creator of laughter therapy. He is the founding godfather of a science called psychoneuroimmunology, and there's a center named for him at UCLA, and it's studied in many colleges and universities around the world. And he had probably the widest ranging list of friends and acquaintances all over the world than anyone ever had. In fact, people often said, Norman Cousins knows everybody. And he did. He knew eight U.S. presidents. He often went on peace missions for them. In fact, he brokered a, a peace meeting to halt nuclear proliferation between the Pope 
and Nikita Khrushchev uh, for uh, John F. Kennedy. And he knew Albert Einstein. He knew Albert Schweitzer. He knew Mother Teresa. He knew Cary Grant. I mean, the man was amazing. And I said, well, here is a question I want to ask you, Norman. I was interviewing him, which I did on a number of occasions for uh, books and for a newsletter I did. I said, Norman, you know all these fantastic people. And you're a brilliant observer of the human condition. What is a common denominator that all these successful, triumphant, and fulfilled self-actualized human beings have. What's something they all have in common? And he had to think for a moment, and he said, you know, Jerry, now that I think about it, without exception, I believe that almost every moment of their lives, they woke up with, with uh, robust expectations. And that just floored me. You know, it did me too when I read it because I thought, well, I have expectations, but have I ever had a robust one? I'm not sure. Well, it's an ideal state to want to be in. It is. And just think that you're going to have an exuberant experience today. And you probably will. And when I, I have a whole chapter on robust expectations, and a lot of people say it's really made a big change in their life to not only create more of them in your life. And I did that in prison. I must say that's one of the big ways I got through it. I would create robust expectations. When I wrote my cartoon gags, there was a whole kind of litany of activity. First, I would write maybe 20 gags. And they would be, I would describe the scene and the caption. I'd send them to a cartoonist. And he would decide how many of those 20, and sometimes it was just two or three, he would take and actually draw up. So I got to robustly expect that I would be successful and he would take some of my ideas. Then he started submitting them to magazines. And so I got to have robust expectations. The magazine would actually hold on to the cartoon and maybe buy it. And then, of course, eventually I had the robust expectations that a check would arrive. Now, I'll tell you something important, maybe the most important thing about robust expectations and then being a positive force in so many ways for your consciousness. It doesn't really matter if you achieve what you're expecting robustly to achieve. It's the experience of the robust expectation that empowers you. If you're disappointed at the end of uh, whatever the period would be that you were expecting this thing to happen, if it doesn't happen or not in the way you expect, you still have that experience of the robust expectation. And the setback is only a momentary aberration, only a momentary disappointment. And because you come out way ahead. Okay, we've got another word, another phrase. Junk mail for the mind. Well, that comes, of course, from my chapter and uh, something I created, I'm very proud of, called the law of subtraction. Not the law of attraction, 
the law of subtraction, which I think is more important. And I actually got that from, at the age of 11 or 12, reading A Study in Scarlet, one of the Sherlock Holmes novels by Arthur Conan Doyle. And if I may, I'd like to share with you what changed my life, really. Um, you know what? We're right up to the break. Can we do that when we come back? Well, that will be a robust expectation. That will be a well, everybody can have the robust expectation to hear this when we come back from the break. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who have turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. My guest today is Jerry Gillies, who's the author of Money Love 3.0. Before the break, we were talking about uh, junk mail for the mind. Uh, but before we get back to that and the finish his story, I want him to tell you how to find him and how to get the book. So get yourself a pen and a piece of paper and get ready. You'll find the links on the blog as well. But you know, here it is right from the mouth of Jerry Gillies. Jerry, how can we find you? How can we get your book? What else? I know you have an offer. What's your What's the deal? What's the deal? Well, one chapter we didn't get to talk about, and it may be my favorite chapter in the book, and I know it, it's one of yours too, is called Building a Prosperous Spirit. And I want to give your listeners that chapter, absolutely free, no strings attached, and the audio, a one-hour audio I produced before writing the book that actually inspired that chapter. 
It's uh, based on similar ideas, but it has a lot of other information as well. So the Building a Prosperous Spirit chapter and audio, you can get free by going to moneyloveblog.com forward slash Irene, I-R-E-N-E. That, of course, is for the benefit of your audience, not you, Irene. Oh, I don't get that. I think I have almost all of it already, so I'm not going to be disappointed. Right. Moneyloveblog.com forward slash Irene. And you'll also find out uh, how to get uh, Money Love 3.0 and a way of uh, accessing a, an extensive synopsis is, that's like a prosperity seminar by itself in which I talk about all 12 books or chapters from Money Love 3.0. And I'm telling you, everybody, this is a really great deal. That chapter that he's giving you is so powerful. Um, I can't even begin to describe it. I won't try, but you know these these are just these are wonderful, wonderful tools for the rest of your life. Trust me on that. You know, talk about self improvement tools. These are self improvement tools at their best. Okay, well, Jerry. Let's thank, thank you for that. And I I will also say that just this one chapter, if you pay attention to it, uh, your prosperity will start building momentum almost immediately. So let's go back to the law of subtraction and Sherlock Holmes. Oh, that it was law of attraction. I was confused. Sherlock no, Holmes. No, no, Law of subtraction. Subtraction. Yes, yes, yes. I because love that chapter that, too. But Yeah, that's where we got junk mail for the mind. And I also call it information asphyxiation because we know thanks to the internet, that we have so much material pouring out. But Arthur Conan Doyle wrote the book, A Study in Scarlet, over a hundred years ago. And he looked at this problem, and here's what he said, and I think it's brilliant, and I would recommend people read the book and write it down and take it in, because it is one of the most brilliant observations of how the human mind works. He said, Sherlock Holmes said, I consider that a man's brain originally is like a little empty attic and you have to stock it with such furniture as you choose. A fool takes in all the lumber of every sort that he comes across so that the knowledge which might be useful gets crowded out or at best is jumbled up with a lot of other things so that he has a difficulty in laying his hands upon it. Now, quite often that's quoted, but I'll add the next paragraph, which I think expounds on it beautifully. Now the skillful workman is very careful indeed as to what he takes into his brain attic. He will have nothing but the tools which may help him in doing his work, but of these he has a large assortment and all in the most perfect order. It is a mistake to think that the little room has elastic walls and can distend to any extent. Depend upon it, there comes a time when for every addition of knowledge, you forget something that you knew before. It is of the highest importance, therefore, not to have useless facts 
elbowing out the useful ones. And that's the junk mail of the mind. And I suggest we all need to have an immigration policy for our minds to keep out all that junk. <laughs> I even agree. some of the good stuff is not stuff we need or need to hold on to. I think it was Albert Einstein that said, uh, you don't need to remember anything if you live near a good library. And now, of course, at your fingertips, you have search engines galore. Yep. You Anything we computer. need to know, we can Google. Yeah, that's an extra room for your brain. You don't need to store it in that yeah. little attic. Okay, now we're coming to my very most favorite word of all time. I wish I had thought of this. You said you wished you had thought of it. Let's talk about metafizzling. Well, I, I got that term from a brilliant woman and friend of mine, Dr. Maria Nemeth who is a psychologist and has worked a lot with people who have major money issues in their life. And she wrote a book called The Energy uh, of Money. And what she basically says is that prosperity is really in two parts. Prosperity is something that is metaphysical, in that you have in your consciousness visualizations and fantasies and dreams and aspirations and perhaps affirmations. And what she said, and I'll quote it directly, one of the things for us to appreciate is that the unique opportunity in being a human, in the unique opportunity in being a human being is that we have one foot in metaphysical reality, which is the home of our ideas, our dreams, our visions, and we have one foot in physical reality, which is the place where we take action to see results. And if we spend too much time in metaphysical reality without doing anything, we end up metaphysling, and it's not a very pretty sight. <laughs> so true. I, isn't that a great word and it's, I, it's so true word. for so many of us that we uh, you know why isn't my affirmation working I'm so good at doing them on a regular basis my visualizations are all beautiful why am I not getting richer why am I not finding love why am I not finding my true path in life and work I can be passionate about well because you're not doing anything you're metaphysling Edwin Gaines, <laughs> the, the great prosperity teacher and uh, another friend who I interviewed extensively for the book and who wrote her own book, The Four Laws of uh, the Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity. Edwin says, we have to give Nike a lot of credit because they came up with the basic truth of how yeah. to succeed. Just do it. And a lot of a lot of programs on on manifesting make you feel that all you have to do is think about it and get your energy up and feel it and know that you're going to have it and it's just going to dump right down through your ceiling into your lap and it doesn't happen because I tell you I've tried it. We have one more. We've got to do this one. Creative loafing. Well, I caused quite a stir when I talked about creative loafing in the original Money Love. 
And what I basically said was you can make a lot more money loafing than you can working hard. And a lot more people have come into line with that thinking since then. And what I really meant was when you take time in your life, when you loaf, when you're not operating by the old ways of looking at the clock and, and considering that time is your master, you have time to access the wonderful core creativity we all have in our subconscious minds. And many people keep their lives so busy. And one term that uh, I talk about in Time Love that a lot of people use, crazy busy. You know, yes. Do you have the time to do this? No, I'm crazy busy. Well, I think they're more crazy than they are than, busy. Than busy. And the subconscious mind won't give you anything if you're not relaxed. It's just going to hang on to it. You know, it, it just has to have you be in a place to receive it. Now we're going to get down where the rubber meets the road. What, Jerry, is your personal definition of prosperity? Well, it actually changes often uh, as I think about it. And I think about it a lot because I'm talking about it, I'm writing about it. The first part of it is that I think we need to realize, and I certainly have come to know, that prosperity is not a destination. It's a lifelong journey. It's a process as much as any result. And when you're living a prosperous life, you're living it, not constantly seeking it. Prosperity conscious people are finders, not seekers. Ah. And my basic core belief is that I am prosperous in all areas, in every aspect of my life, and it keeps getting better. And it's not so much that I have more love, more joy, more money as time goes on, but that I've learned how to savor it, enjoy it, and express what I already have happening in my life. And I think that's basically uh, my definition of prosperity. And I think uh, many other people have come up with uh, Edwin Gaines talks about you need to have a spirit of adventure. You have to have an openness to new possibilities for your life. And you have to have the courage to step out of your comfort zone and do something new. And therein lies the rub. I mean, it's hard to do that. What do you see as, excuse me, the main obstacle for somebody wanting to improve their financial situation? They think they can do the manifesting thing, uh, but they don't. What do you have to say to people who want to manifest and the formula just doesn't seem to work for them? Well, Maggie Whitehouse, a minister and author and stand-up comedian in England, uh, had really the uh, core sentence about prosperity consciousness that I think if you could just take this in, anybody listening, just take it in and accept it and begin to act it out in your life and believe it, 
you would find yourself overcoming a lot of those obstacles. And here's what Maggie said. Abundance is our birthright and everything else is resistance. Now that Whoa. is powerful. Now I have those quarter sizes I mentioned, the exercises you do with quotes. And here's one you can use with this or any other quote that might be fun for people to try out. Imagine, I mean, you actually could do this if you want to do, but you can imagine doing it. Imagine you put that quote on your T-shirt. Print it out. Abundance is our birthright and everything else is resistance. And someone comes up to you and says, what in the world does that mean? And you have one minute to explain it. That will be an exercise in using your mind to see new perspectives on prosperity and what we're all entitled to. And to realize to a great extent that money is a human invention. And it's really an imaginary thing that only exists because we all agree a certain amount is worth a certain amount and that we can exchange it for goods or services. So money is really a state of mind. And a definition of prosperity I like also came from Maggie Whitehouse. She said, true prosperity is a state of mind where you are radiant with health, happiness, peace, joy, and the knowledge that everything you want and need is yours for the asking. And notice that definition and almost all of my definitions <laughs> and other prosperity teachers and spiritual teachers' definitions almost never mention accumulating a lot of money as you know, an important first aspect of prosperity. It's usually something put at the end, an incidental thing, because money is really in, in order of importance at the very end of creating a prosperous life for yourself. And some people who have very, very little of it still have wonderfully prosperous lives. Because prosperity is a feeling. Yep. And a lot of people believe, well, I need to have a million dollars to really feel good. But the truth is, you can start feeling good without the million dollars. And uh, it doesn't take a million dollars to have the feeling. And then it will be a lot easier to create a million dollars when you're feeling like a million dollars. And that's sort of the secret of manifesting, right, right in a nutshell. You know, what I said at the very beginning of the first Money Love still holds true, and it really covers this difference of metaphysical reality and physical reality. I said you need three things to be successful. First, you need a clear vision of what you want. Second, you need the belief that you can get it. Those two are metaphysical. Yes. Next, we get to physical reality. You need the skills and the talents to put that belief into action. That's the secret. It's all there. And I think that uh, all of us have the secret of success within us. We just need to free it from its prison inside our consciousness. Yeah, we have... We 
eons of wisdom inside us. We just forget to go there. One of the things you said is that somebody can't expect to be successful if they separate their spiritual and material lives. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think that, uh, and of course, the whole chapter that people are going to get as a free gift uh, when they go to moneyloveblog.com slash Irene, building a prosperous spirit really illustrates that if you believe we live on an abundant planet that is a gift, that as Maggie Whitehouse says, abundance is our birthright, then you have to accept that there is a spiritual aspect of it, something beyond the physical or the mental or the emotional, some energy force bigger than us that has created this abundance that we have access to if we just stop getting in our own way. And if you try to just go for money without recognizing that, I think that uh, you will run into a blockade. You will run into, you know, a... uh, uh, Maria Namath talks about that space between the metaphysical and the physical as the border. And she says a lot of people that she sees in her therapy practice have trouble at the border. They're ready to move from metaphysical to physical reality, and they get into fear, and they get into, oh, it's going to change my life. Do I really want to make this kind of a change? And all of that stuff. And what she has learned and what she tries to teach people is that if you move forward anyway, if you, as my dear friend, the late Susan Jeffers said, if you feel the fear and do it anyway, you'll get past that. It's really, again, about taking action. That's kind of a saying a lot of us have, feel the fear and do it anyway. But, um, you know, that's a lot easier said than done when you're looking at something that you think is going to just absolutely switch your life around and you don't know whether you can handle it or not or you don't even know how to get started in in that new uh, segment Oh, how do you feel fear and do it anyway? Um, you just, I guess you just do it. Yeah, and I love that phrase that uh, Susan Jeffers invented. She was a big Money Love fan. In fact, she was a psychologist in New York and canceled one of her clients so she could come and see me being interviewed on a talk show, a TV <laughs> show in New York. And we became friends, and then she was, when she was in California, Um, She had moved there. She became part of the Inside Edge leadership group that Jack Canfield and Louise Hay and Wayne Dyer and Barbara DeAngelis and a lot of other great people and new thought leaders and authors and entertainers uh, created. It met 6.30 every Tuesday morning at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And Susan Jeffers was a big part of that. And uh, we all supported her as she was writing her book, which became an international bestseller, sold a lot more copies than Money Love. And uh, she honored me by allowing me to uh, do the narration for her first audio of that book. And uh, she was quite an amazing woman. So fear is something that we can get beyond. 
very briefly, because we're getting really close to the end of the show, very briefly talk about why you put serendipity in the book. Serendipity. Well, you know, and it's true of a lot of the chapters. Uh, I had thought about writing a book about serendipity because it was so much a part of my life. And it's amazing that people have different reactions to it. What I'm suggesting is you can create those happy accidents we call serendipitous uh, in our lives so we can make space for them. And I talk a lot in Time Love and in The Law of Subtraction about having a mind that is spacious, a life that is spacious. So you have room for surprises. You have room for serendipity. You have room for new ideas and new wonders to appear in your life. And serendipity, a lot of, for example, if you talk to a scientist or a mathematician, even though serendipity is a very known quantity in science, it's quite often the case that a scientist will be looking for something and they'll stumble upon something totally different that's even bigger than what they were looking for. That's how penicillin was created and many, many other scientific discoveries. But mathematicians and scientists will try to explain it as just coincidence or happenstance. And then you go to the other extreme, and there's a man, and I tell a whole story about how we reconnected in a serendipitous way, named Squire Rushnell. And Squire uh, calls serendipity Godwinks. He says every time one of those happy accidents have uh, appeared in our lives, it's a message from God. It's a wink from God. It's divinely inspired. And I think you can create that. You can create room in your life for that. That's what my chapter talks about. And I have a lot of great episodes. And something that happened for me, and I suspect it will happen for anybody that reads that chapter. As I was writing it, I was remembering many, many moments in my past life that involved serendipity, and I didn't realize it at the time. That I might have just thought, oh, that's just a little coincidence, or... Uh, I didn't even recognize serendipity, and I suspect that most people don't recognize a lot of the serendipity that happens in our lives. And as I read it, I remembered many as well. We're right up at the end of the show. Tell everybody one more time how they can get your book and your free offers. Okay, well, they'll get information on the book, including uh, they can look at a synopsis of all the chapters uh, in detail, so they'll get a real sense of it. It's almost like a mini seminar in itself. But they get the free audio, Building a Prosperous Spirit, and then the chapter in Money Love 3.0 that it inspired. Uh, one of the longest, and, and as we, you and I both agree, one of the best chapters, Building a Prosperous Spirit. The free chapter and the free audio are yours just by going to moneyloveblog.com forward slash Irene and you will immediately get access to both the chapter and the audio and please do let me know uh, your positive experiences using both of those tools because if you use them you will have positive prosperous experiences. And don't forget to do the damn exercises. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Jerry Gilley, saying thank you so much for being with us today. Jerry, thank you so much 
for being with us. Uh, We invite you to come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.